0: I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, a physician and voice technology futurist. Voice First Technology is rapidly becoming the operating system of our lives, and it will completely revolutionize the way we experience healthcare. Let's talk voice. Welcome to Voice First Health, episode 52. Today I have two fantastic guests for you, and you get to listen into our conversation. But first of all, before we get to that, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by... The Voice First Health collection of flash briefings. This is a new catalog of flash briefings geared towards the consumer, the patient, and the person that wants to get more healthy. Currently, we have five in our catalog, and the catalog is growing actively as as I speak. Uh, we have the Voice First Health daily health tips, daily blood pressure tips daily diabetes tips, we have the daily acne tips, and the daily skincare tips. And uh, if you want to get a little short one-minute bite-sized uh, nugget that's going to help you out with your personal health, then please feel free to enable those voice-first health flash briefings. All right, well, let's get to today's guests. Today, I am really, really excited to welcome Scott Westwater and Susan Westwater the co-founders of Pragmatic Digital. They are experts when it comes to designing voice experiences, and they come on today to talk about their experience in designing these voice applications, specifically with regards to healthcare. As you will hear, they are a complete wealth of knowledge, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce them to you right now. All right, well, Scott and Susan, it is a real pleasure to have both of you here on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to uh, join the listeners and myself today.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. Let's start off with some introductions. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet both of you at a couple of voice events, and uh, the listeners need to meet you now. So um, maybe the two of you can just each take a moment and introduce
2: yourselves to the listeners. Sure. Sure. My name is Scott Westwater. I am the co-founder and lead strategist for Pragmatic Digital, and we're a consultancy that helps um, organizations of all kinds, especially in healthcare, understand what their audience is looking for, uh, determine what the organizational needs are, and figure out where we can create useful and usable voice experiences that make basically make sense for both audiences.
1: And I'm Susan Westwater. I am also a co-founder. I'm also CEO of Pragmatic Digital. Um, And I come from a background uh, of content strategy, so it isn't just about useful and usable voice experiences, but it's also um, experiences that make sense with everything else that is out there. So um, social, television, um, any of your printed uh, pieces or any of those types of things to make sure that from a brand or a brand persona and ecosystem, it makes sense and it is consistent so that Whoever is receiving those messages, um, understand them because they're it's all aligned.
0: Fantastic. And you're married. So have you always
2: worked together? We have not, actually. Um, so we started Pragmatic about two years ago. Um, I went full-time over a year ago now. And Susan's been full-time for about seven months. So this is really the first time in our careers where we've truly worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan worked from home prior um, with her last organization. But yeah, it's it's actually really fun because um, it's really easy to bounce ideas off of each other. We also have very complementary skill sets. So I, I usually come in with more of a digital strategy user experience lens where she's really focused on the content and what content makes most sense. So we complement each other really well, which I think works overall really, really strongly.
1: I should also add that our offices are on different floors of our home. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> okay. So that says a lot right there. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: we it's, it's a nice balance of boundaries and um communication because we do have different work styles even though we have complementary skill sets. So, um but that works as well because then that means that we don't have an echo chamber in the house.
0: <laughs> Perfect. That sounds great. Good strategy there. Good right off the bat. Um how did
2: you to get into voice? Why are you doing this? Um so this all goes back to the fall of 2017. And a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. And at that time, Gary was talking a lot about voice and how Amazon has the potential to kill Google. And when you hear something that kind of outlandish, especially when you go back to 2017 terms, it's certainly worth looking into. And I was already um, a director of user experience, very comfortable and familiar with doing research and understanding what the next big thing was. This is actually our third rodeo. Um, actually, our fourth rodeo going through these massive shifts in consumer attention. And so we saw the web go from nothing to being commercially viable. We saw social media happen. We saw mobile explode. And really, at that time, when I started doing the research, I started seeing the exact same story line up exactly like it had with the web with mobile. And so, this was our opportunity to really do some good in the world and help a lot more people by being able to not only educate but you know do client work ourselves, um, independent of another organization. So that's really what brought me to it. Uh, Susan has a slightly different uh, spin on that story. <laughs>
1: yes, um, I, I will admit that um, when someone like Gary Vaynerchuk starts making wild predictions, and, and you start to hear words like "well, everyone knows," I actually it. It's a red flag for me and it makes me super skeptical. Huh. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was a bit contrarian um, and I was very skeptical. I've seen someone told me once that QR codes were going to be the next big thing. And, yeah. you know, they have their place in this world, but they certainly weren't the thing that it was touted to be. Um, right. Now, my background, though, being very different than Scott's is actually um, I'm actually two courses short of being a medievalist. So um, my entire degree, I'm a double English major with a fine art minor. So um, I did a lot of studying of basically medieval history. And around those times, as you go back is when printed word became something, um, that was the time of Dante Alighieri who wrote in vernacular, which then started to make information accessible. For me, what made the selling point of voice is how it makes information accessible. Um, hmm. There are so many things about literacy and language that can in either intentionally or unintentionally uh, exclude. And there's an opportunity here with voice to make it so much more inclusive and to reach so many underserved, but also just not even underserved, but just make information flow that much more easily that um, it's not something to be ignored. And, and I always like to think of it of there's a reason troubadours were such a, you know, a well-regarded, um, thing before the printed word. And I kind of excited to see that that is coming back in force. Um, so that way then there is that flow of information and opportunity to share stories.
0: Fantastic. That's really great. That's really interesting. Very different perspectives and and different ways that you entered the space. And I can see why your, your skills would be so complimentary now. It's fantastic. (laughs) So, speaking of that, so let's get into some sort of strategy. And um, this being the Voice First Health uh, podcast, I'm very interested in your take on, you know, what goes into creating a good voice experience for healthcare? That's a very broad question, I know. But I'd like to get sort of some of your ideas in terms of how do you approach that, that, that problem or that issue?
1: I think the first place you have to start is your audience. Um, most people, Um, most folks are, are, are aware of what it is they want to say, what messages they want to put out there, but a little less effort is sometimes put towards who's receiving those messages. And it, you know, the clarity of a message relies on the communicator, not the recipient. So it's very important to make sure that either the information or the tasks or the things or those needs of that audience that you start to break that down. And when we start talking about healthcare, there are those three distinct Um, audiences of, you know, payer, uh, provider, and patient. And right there, you've suddenly put yourself into a very complex situation if you're trying to do and serve all three. So it's very important that you start with a very clear understanding of what are the things that I want to accomplish for either one or all of those particular audiences and making sure that you keep those separate so that way then you can break it into manageable um, and achievable chunks.
2: The other thing that you want to figure out is what, as an organization, you're trying to achieve. So if it's disease education versus adherence versus retention, let's say, you would actually employ very different strategies depending on what the objective of the overall project is. So it's really critical to look at both sides of the coin. Um, And in our presentations, we actually have a Venn (laughs) diagram that actually has on one side audience needs and then on the other side business objectives. And where those two intersect is really what, where you want to focus your initial um, experience because you know it's going to provide value to your audience it's going to be providing value to the organization. And then over time, you can add stuff to it and add bells and whistles and whatnot. But really, that's the core. That's the foundation of what you should be creating to create a good healthcare experience.
0: Right. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you you want to know who you're catering uh, catering to. Um, and, and so if we just sort of maybe even just – take an example of say, say you want to cater to a patient, you want to educate a patient. I know you've, you've, uh, you know, on your website, you've got some information about patient first, or or sorry, voice first equals patient first. And I've talked about that as well about patients first. Can you comment on that in terms of like, what do you mean by that?
2: So it's a an idea that you start with the patient. And so there's a lot of healthcare organizations that talk about being patient centric. And quite frankly, I've worked with a lot of those organizations. And when you get down to it, it's good PR. They're not actually talking to their audience. Or if they do, it's at the very, very beginning of a project and they never look at it again. And so the idea is you start with the audience's needs, the patient's needs. So if it's diabetes, let's say, what kind of information does someone that's actually pre-diagnosis diabetic, what kind of information might they be looking for? And so you really look at what types of information, maybe it's symptomology or whatever, um, that you're trying to make sure that they can at least find that information. And then once they get diagnosed, you know, it's a lifestyle alteration. So like, what types of things do they need to know from that perspective? And I think the really interesting thing with a voice is you can ask questions and get immediate answers. So rather than typing in you know, a couple of phrases and then going to you know, the Google page with a bunch of links on it, literally in this situation, you can ask a question and get the direct answer. So it's really critical to understand what people need at all phases of the journey. And then beyond that, you want to make sure that you're out helping move them along the journey as well. So um, at the end of the day, it's not always about conversion or sales or whatever, but it's about moving that person to that next step. So if it's pre-diagnosis, they have some sort of symptomology um, that they've found information on, maybe the call to action is, you know, talk to your doctor, talk to your PCP about whatever. And so that way you can actually move them down the funnel. There's plenty of disease states that I've worked in where it takes 10-ish years to get diagnosis. And in a lot of those cases, by the time they're diagnosed, they start losing you know, motor function or they start losing the ability to walk a little bit and things like that. So if you can start closing that path to diagnosis, you're going to start making people's lives better just by catching it sooner.
1: And another important part of that too is having empathy for that particular condition you're dealing with. If this is um, something quite serious that a parent is looking up for their child, have a very clear set in your mind of thinking about for a moment, what is that parent's mental state at that moment um, or or emotional state? And then proceeding with them appropriately. Um, At that moment, no one's going to want to hear um, a lot of uh, jargon or any type of branded message, they're going to want help and information. So it is taking a moment to kind of put your put yourself in the shoes of that particular audience and then understanding and unpacking all of the things that are happening at that moment when they're getting your content.
0: Yeah, and, and what you're describing um, is, is extremely important, but also in the scheme of um, voice skills or applications or whatever you want to call them. It's relatively not complex because you're not getting into personal health information necessarily. You're not getting into uh, HIPAA requirements. Do you want to just talk about that a little bit and how, you know, how those issues can interplay or maybe not depending on what you're designing?
2: Yeah. So, and uh, Terry, I've mentioned this to you before and, and some of the other folks that we know in the health community and voice, but if you're a physician, you're uniquely positioned to actually get disease information out there in a way that most health organizations won't be able to. So I've worked with a lot of big pharmaceutical companies, health systems, whatever. And internally, you know, there's going to be a lot of regulatory concern, legal concern, you know, how's the FDA going to weigh in on things like this? And quite frankly, the FDA guidance is based on a lot of, you know, outdated practice, let's say. Um, so even on the website, even on mobile, you know, there's there's a lot of struggles internally with how we interpret, how the FDA might rule on say, fair balance, if it's a branded experience. So when you're looking at disease education, it's a lot of those concerns go away. You're not collecting data. You're basically just providing health information. And it's really the same as a Google search. um, If someone was just to type in something and find information. So I think from a practicality standpoint, Disease education and even like, you know, surgical education and really things all around a procedure or whatever is really the, the low hanging fruit here in voice. Um, Neil Desai and I have actually talked about, you know, a lot of health organizations are trying to hit the grand slam. They've already, you know, they're trying to hit it out of the park. And the reality is we just need to get people on base with voice experiences right now. So it's critical to find those scenarios where you can have a big amount of impact. Um, To provide patient information, let's say, or provider information um, in a way that's pretty low cost to entry. I think that's the other nice thing about voice, Um, especially if you're doing audio recordings. It's not a super huge barrier to actually creating these things. So um, I would really say that that's a great place to start. And then once you get people comfortable and using the experiences, then look at ways you can enhance either that experience or create a complimentary experience. To then get into say adherence, persistence, uh, retention, like whatever the goal is, right? So,
0: I mean that that's really good. What do you think are the the barriers right now from preventing people from creating those kinds of experiences? Because I agree with you. I think I think the way that you've described them, it, it is it is the low hanging fruit. Is it just simply awareness? Is it? I, I'm trying to figure that out. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Um, We actually just did an informal um, survey online of just kind of understanding from a business and a healthcare community where they're at. And I think the challenge is that um, a majority of companies, especially when it comes to this type of cutting edge tech, um, and it's still considered cutting edge, they are not trailblazers. They're wait and see. And... It's difficult, as Scott also mentioned, even with some of the clients we do work with, of, hey, this is an idea. Well, hold on. I need to go talk to my regulatory board, talk to you in eight weeks. Um, There is is a hesitancy to be a trailblazer sometimes in this particular field because, unfortunately, no one wants to be made an example of. Because if you don't get it right, at least by – and you can think you're getting it right – Um, there is a little bit of risk of having the FDA's wrath or the governing body's wrath upon you. Um, So that does not necessarily foster a spirit of innovation. Um, But I think as we talk more and more and as we see the numbers that show where and how people are using this technology, it's just numbers you can't ignore Um, And especially as things become saturated in the other channels, it just makes a lot of sense to move there. So I I think we see that coming where it's just going to be similar to how Webb was, where it's sort of a, we can't ignore this, we have to do this, and we have to start going out. And that's again, we're not trying to hit a home run, but starting simple and deliberately and focused is going to be your best bet to make sure that that way, then you're doing right, and you're not going to perhaps fall into some of those pitfalls that you know I, I mentioned earlier. Well,
2: and the reality is we are in the same exact position with with voice as we were with mobile nine months before it exploded. So the the big prediction is by next year, more than fifty percent of Americans will have at least one of these devices at homes. Um, you know, Canada, UK, Germany, some of the other locations are about nine months behind that prediction, but the general idea is here in the states you're going to have at least 50% of people having at least one of these devices at home. So we're exactly in the same position we were nine months before mobile exploded. And we kind of saw what happened there. A lot of people had a wait and see approach. And then once it actually all blew up, everyone was scrambling to actually get their experiences out the door. Um, And I was hopeful this time around because we've gone through this a few times that a lot more organizations would be proactive and seeing the trends and, and really investing a little bit earlier but really based on our research and just conversations we've had with brand managers, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare, um, like Susan said, a lot of them are still kind of in that wait and see approach. The other thing is a lot of them believe that they're already far behind, whether it comes to social or mobile, and they just can't fathom taking on a whole new thing yet. So those are a few of the barriers that we've experienced that might give you a little bit more insight into kind of where the, the mindset is right now. Yeah.
0: And that, and that, that, that does come up a lot. Obviously the, the regulatory bodies with, with healthcare and obviously sure. nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody yep. wants to, there's just so much at stake here. And yeah, I understand that on the one hand, the other hand, it's also very frustrating as a physician because yep. there's so much possibility here. Yep. Um, where do you, where do the two of you see this going eventually? Like we talked about, yes, getting on base, where are we going with voice in the future, whether it's, you know, a couple of years, five years down the road, that sort of thing.
2: Well, voice in my mind is going to become the default input for most computing devices. So, you know, everyone's thinking of this as just smart speakers or potentially even the assistants on the phones. But you're seeing Samsung making huge inroads in TVs, refrigerators, other appliances as well. So we're going to see this become just this ubiquitous technology that we interface with. And it's going to follow us from home into our commute. So whether it's hearables, you know, in ear or it's in the car, and then when we get to the office and it'll actually know, you know, let's say you're listening to a podcast when you're getting ready in the morning, when you get in the car, it's just going to pick right back up and go with you. So whether it's a hearable or um, your car experience, and then you get to the office and it's going to know you're at the office and it's going to be more context aware. And so that's where assistants in general are headed. I did see a really interesting position paper from Microsoft, and this was actually a couple of years back. Where they said by 2023, um, your wearables will actually be able to do some proactive, I don't want to say diagnostic, but some proactive monitoring where if it detects certain conditions that it you know deems um, to be a concern, it'll actually hit your physician's office, set up an appointment for you. And you'll just get a notification that says, hey, you've got a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. So the challenge right now is that infrastructure isn't quite in place. And that's actually why Google came out with the, the robots calling the humans via duplex. And it's because the infrastructure to make these types of appointments, either at a physician's office or you know the florist or whatever the scenario is, uh, it's just not in place yet. But I do think we're going to see a level of proactive monitoring that's going to happen. Um, and voices are going to really just be how we interface with these things and whether it's, you know, a Google Glass style um, glasses let's say um or your tv screen or you know a screen on your wall or whatever that'll probably be how you see stuff if you need but there's going to be a plenty of situations where you don't even need to see a visual you'll just get your information and you'll be on your way
0: fantastic i agree that we need to be getting on base first but at the same time i love looking for those grand slams and i'm really looking forward to a scenario similar to what you've described where that where the voice assistants and the smart microphones really um yep are able to start to look for conditions, diseases, and be able to start diagnosing things and alerting the physician because that's going to be extremely powerful when you yep. get to that stage. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I think that healthcare is especially exciting um, because I mean, we already can see with elder care, so many different ways of, oh, wow. If um, someone doesn't have to search for the call button and um, anecdotally, I actually have an aunt right now who is in assisted care and she fell because she was trying to find the call button. And um, my mom looked at me and said, you guys need to fix this because (laughs) if she could have just called out to her device, that would have, she would have felt safe. But, um, and that's obviously a little bit of me search, but um, from the realities of it is there are so many ways that moving things into this hands-free voice enabled space can help with um, everything from physician patient relationships and just how they interact to patient care to so many different things that it's really exciting. Um, I mean, imagine even just symptom tracking where if someone can just start to track it from that perspective so, and and not even from a HIPAA perspective, just um, keeping it within a closed network. And that's something that they can then share. So, Hey, when did this start to happen? Well, the first time I noted it, well, it's already captured somewhere versus having to remember to write it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many different use cases that y- you can't help but get excited.
0: Yeah, no, really well said. And it's, it's just, a, it's a very exciting time. And uh, I agree a hundred percent with both, with both of you are saying, um, I want to give you two an opportunity to also chat about your new book that you have coming up, because this is really, really exciting. And uh, I think I think we should share this with the listeners.
2: Awesome, yeah. So we're, we are writing a book and it'll be out in November and it's called Voice Strategy, Creating Useful and Usable Voice Experiences. And really what it does is it takes our 20 plus years of experience both and combines it with all of the voice knowledge that we've really been digging deep into for the past couple of years to help people who might not necessarily be familiar with how to create something like this Um, actually help them create good voice experiences. So for any of your listeners, um, if you're interested, if you go to voicestrategybook.com, you can check it out. Right now, we actually have a pre-launch offer available, um, but it will be out in November. And, uh, you know, there's video and audio books and all all the things are going to be available um, in some capacity. But really what we wanted to do, we are self-publishing it and we wanted to get this information out as quickly as possible. So rather than going the traditional publishing route, we wanted to get this into the hands of the people that really need this information right now. So um, yeah, if you guys are interested, you know, like I said, hit up voicestrategybook.com.
1: Yeah, I, I will add, um, it's really fun to talk and speak at the higher level of useful and usable and audience needs. But um, the, the next part of that is, well, okay, how do I actually do that? And that's why we put this book together was to be able to help, Um, people be able to read through it and start to understand, okay, here's where I can start. Here's what you mean by simple. Um, And here's how I can build a foundation towards perhaps putting together that team that will give me a, a grand slam.
0: That's wonderful. Well, yeah, I mean, it looks like it's a fantastic resource. I know, I've, I've, you know, I know the type of presentations that both of you give, um, and the expertise that you bring. So I would expect no less from the book. And I encourage all listeners to for sure, check that out and grab a copy of that. Where else can listeners go to learn a little bit more about what the two of you are doing, or if they want to chat with you or get some advice from you? Where would where would you send them?
1: So um, if you do want to get an understanding of, um, if you haven't seen our presentations, but you want to read some of our articles, we actually can go to pragmatic.digital. And that's actually under blogs is where we have a lot of our content. And the blog you were referencing, talking um, about Scott's POV on healthcare, um, it is in there. And then we're always findable on Twitter. I'm at SJW75. And Scott is at?
2: Scott Westwater um, with one T in Scott. So just all one word.
1: And then, of course, there's always LinkedIn as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, again, thank you to both of you for spending some time here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. A wealth of knowledge. And um, I'm sure the listeners will be reaching out to you because uh, uh, you you two are experts in this. And uh, and, uh, thank you for sharing the expertise with the audience.
1: Sure. Thank you for having us.
2: Yes.
0: Thank you, Terry. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott and Susan. They know their stuff, and so if you're looking for some help in how to get started creating some type of voice experience, particularly with healthcare, you need to look them up. I will have the links, of course, to the things that they mentioned, the resources that they mentioned here on the show, at the website voicefirsthealth.com slash 52 so i encourage you to check out those notes for all the links and again a quick reminder that this show is brought to you by the voice first health suite of flash briefings which you can access on the website as well Uh, we have daily health tips there for a variety of conditions and i encourage you to check those out Uh, they are there they are some of the that that low-hanging fruit that scott and susan were talking about Uh, And they are easily accessible by anybody that needs them. So if you or someone you know would benefit from those, please do share them. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Take care.